Welcome to Fueling the Revenue Engine. My name is Roz Greenfield, co-founder and chief enablement officer at Level 213. We're real excited to be entering our second season of the Fueling the Revenue Engine podcast. As we enter this season, we're going to continue to look at the future of the enablement profession and connect with other go-to-market leaders for discussions that take a closer look at relevant enablement topics, providing insight, guidance, and support to the go-to-market enablement and sales leadership community. We hope you get a lot of value out of this. Thank you for joining us. So it's no secret that all go-to-market teams need to hit numbers, and to do so, they're often having to hire and ramp AEs, CSMs, technical sales resources in order to be able to achieve the revenue goals. So as a result, the need to build and or refresh an effective sales onboarding program is very, very often a number one priority for go-to-market organizations. I'll say that in our four plus years of level of level 213, that is our biggest request that we get is to help either start uh, build a uh, onboarding program from scratch or refresh an onboarding program as the company's growing, the products are evolving or, or the, the world changes as we have experienced in the last two years. So the structure of the onboarding program really has a significant impact on how long it takes for a new hire to be able to hit the ground running to, towards productivity and quality attainment, which is incredibly important when you talk about revenue generating employees, right? The quicker you get them actually revenue generating, the, the, the quicker they're not a drain on your system, but actually an asset to your organization. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing some strategies and best practices for an effective go-to-market onboarding program that could be delivered in person, remotely, or as a hybrid, which a lot of us are actually going to. So I am thrilled to welcome one of the best sales enablement leaders that I've ever worked with, uh, worked with heard several companies specifically on onboarding programs. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit and other things as well. Also, my dear friend, Caroline Fox, she's the director of go-to-market enablement at Iterable. So welcome, Caroline. We're so happy to have you with us today. And thank you for making the time. I know it's a busy time of year for anyone in enablement. As a way of, of introduction, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe your journey in sales enablement? Yeah. Well, thank you, Roz, for having me. And I mean, as you mentioned, we've worked together multiple companies now at this point, um, and a lot of focus has been on onboarding. So I'm so excited to be talking about this topic with you today. But yeah, hello, everyone. My name is Caroline. I'm the uh, Senior Director of Go-To-Market Enablement at Iterable. And really what that means is for the customer-facing humans or iterators, as we call them, to help them be productive in their roles. So we support sales, customer success solutions, um, our agency partner teams to really um, help them effectively onboard, but then really develop ongoing training programs so that we are constantly developing them so they are providing value to the customer during all of the milestones that they own. So that's really what I focus on. I started in sales enablement, but many companies kind of figure out, you know, you have you have to enable your sales team, but, you know, customer success and the teams mm. that also support other milestones in yeah. the customer journey are, are equally important. So yeah. moved into go-to-market enablement um, a few years ago, and it's been a, a wild journey since. So excited yeah. to be here to talk about the really where it starts, which is the onboarding program. You know, it's interesting mm-hmm. that you mentioned that you started in sales enablement and then evolved to go to market enablement. And, you know, we're seeing that uh, across the board and enablement has evolved. And I think it's it's so important to realize that, you know, you, you have to get the people who are who are selling the product up and running. It's probably even more important to support the people that are uh, that are that are supporting the customer once they gave you money, right? Once there's an exchange and obviously in SaaS, there's always the growth and expansion. And so it, it's so encouraging to say that, yeah, you're actually focusing much more on go to market 
market. And there's some things that, you know, we could, we can leverage. You should probably do a podcast on this topic now that I think about <laughs> it. Um, when are you available next week? Carol? Yeah, I'm exactly. <laughs> let's just do this again. So as a way of setting the stage for this discussion, let, let's start off with just like defining like a go-to-market new higher ramp program or sales new higher ramp program or revenue generating new higher ramp program, whatever you want to call it. What is it? How long should it be? Who is it for? Things like that. What? How do you define an onboarding program? Yeah, and I think, again, this kind of speaks to the theme of making sure we're delivering a consistent experience for the customer. Mm. And that really starts with how we set our employees up for success and how we enable mm. them. So mm. having truly a go-to-market or a revenue uh, new hire ramp program is, is really important. So the experience that we take the prospect through maintains mm. consistent and um, yeah. you know truly speaks to the quality of your company and the product that you deliver um, after you close the deal and, and grow grow the customer as well. So you know as it relates to the go to, go to market new hire onboarding program at iterable, it's really a program designed for developing our new hires in to prepare them for their customer facing roles. So like mm. I mentioned uh, before, it's sales, uh, customer success, the solutions team, uh, partner teams that are involved in the sales or customer journey, as well as marketing. Um, that's something that we actually mm. don't tackle currently at, at at Iterable, but it's something that we're looking to expand into. So yeah. really the, the length of the program should be determined by the particular role um, yeah. and there needs to be role defined learning paths uh, tailored for really what we're trying to do or drive success in. What we typically see is it's around 60 to 90 days, but that will, again, vary depending on the role, um, their metrics, their ramp metrics, and really coming out of the ramp program, what they need to be able to do. So mm. what this typically includes, like I mentioned, it's it's learning paths, trainings tailored by the role, um, in some cases, even broken out by segment, because we'll see mm -hmm. different selling motions for enterprise versus more of the SMB market, and then certifications to really know that we were successful in our in our in our training program. A lot of content obviously needs to be developed in, in order to make that happen, and a lot of moving pieces that you're you're kind of managing throughout. Um, it's a really cross functional effort. Mm. Um, it starts with you know, the recruiting process and HR understanding who are the new, new fo folks joining the go-to-market team and partnering with managers to really um, build out their, their learning path and make sure that their onboarding is going to lead to a fully ramped individual. And then, you know, working with subject matter experts, managers, and uh, kind of folks across the go-to-market org throughout their onboarding. And then as they exit ramp to make sure that we're actually hitting, hitting success. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. But um, nothing yeah. to that. I mean, that seems easy. Yeah, Everybody totally. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound complex at all. Uh, you said so many things that 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 uh, I really want to dig into, but uh, we don't have all day. So I, I want to start with something you said so early in your just the definition that was almost like an aha for me. Even of the onboarding has to reflect the customer journey. Like you're thinking about it from the from the buyer and the customer's perspective, and the prospect and ultimately customer's perspective. Because if we enable the go-to-market team, our customer-facing humans, to think about it from the from the journey of the buyer, that will help them do their job better. And I don't know how many people think of it that way, right? And obviously, there's going to be things that are internal related, like processes or tools or, or uh, even competition, which we don't necessarily share with our buyer, but we need to know it. So just 
even that tidbit of thinking about the journey from the perspective of what does the customer need at this at this part of their journey will help to dictate what what the 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 go to market human needs, right? And it's it's going to differ. There's some things that are going to cross over, right? You know, we talk about so many different roles, but some you know competition everybody needs, or what is the what is the industry that we're in, and so on. And then it will start differentiating where you know salespeople need to know how to price, and and CSMs need need to know how to you know maybe be a little bit more technical or something like that. But it, ultimately, you're really thinking about the other thing you said that I that that I so so resonate with is what do they have to be able to do right in this role and maybe it's different by segment and maybe it's different by product right if they're selling only specific products so there and if you answer that question you're able to really be able to build that program and then be efficient about it so yeah really really insightful the other uh thought that i had that i really love that you said is this you know the you mentioned the certifications to know that we got it right. And I very much agree with that. And my brain went, and also that they know that they got it right, right? For the, for the learner, in this case, the AE, the CSM, there's a certain, first of all, most people who, who join go-to-market roles tend to be gold-oriented humans, right? Specifically our AEs, but most of them. And if they, and in and, and the first 30, 90, 60 days, they're probably not, a lot of companies put them on OTE and they're not necessarily having a number to hit to what is their goal. Their goal yeah. is to pass the certification, right? And to know I'm getting it right, right? So it, it's for those of us in enablement to know that we have a good program, but it's also for them to have the confidence that, oh, I am ready to talk to a customer. I am ready to give this pitch. I am ready to, to show this product or whatever. So it's 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 for us and it's for them, right? And if we think about what they have to be doing from a customer facing perspective, they it gives them the confidence to be able to do that. And the buyer picks up on confidence and or customer. And so that's huge. So, uh, that's so many exactly, things. That's exactly, yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. It's building, building confidence and giving them at bats to actually, when they have that first moment with the customer, it's not their first moment. They've done this before. Yeah. Yeah. We actually really focus on having structured role plays mm. um, with multiple peers uh, throughout the you know discovery training or the demo training process. So when they're actually doing their first certification and it's internal only, but it's not their first call. It's not the first yeah. time they're attempting a discovery call. They've already gotten feedback in a structured way. So they have confidence in that certification moment. And then that builds toward their first customer interaction. Yeah. Yeah. That is so important to what we're what we're doing in onboarding. It's building confidence, yeah. making sure you know, they, they know what's expected of them along the journey. Yeah, that's brilliant, right? Because again, you could you can study in a book, you know, there's a there's a famous sales book. It might have been, I think it's a Sandler, but don't quote me on that. It's like you can't teach someone to ride a bike in a book, right? Yeah. So it's like this is like we're gonna give you the, you know, the 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 book and the book might be the training or the playbook or the, you know, the the guru card or what have you. But the actual practice is the is the role play and that's getting on the bike and, and riding it and maybe falling down a little bit but wouldn't <laughs> you rather fall down with someone standing right there next to you to catch you or to re you know to reshape you and then actually go do it so really great one last question i have on this is you know we talk about a a, a 90 day ram period how do you break that up is uh, uh, between kind of learning and practice and application because 90 days is a lot of time right if you think about mm-hmm. it i mean in, in, lo- in the long run it isn't but for especially what i find with sales people in particular and sales leaders is they're they're itching to start their job quote unquote and it's just like oh, invest a little bit so that your job is more impactful so but and yet it comes a point even in this 90 days that they are doing their job because that's part of their ram so how do you kind of think about that usually 
Yeah. So typically um, I like breaking it up by 30, 60 and 90. I think that is a healthy kind of cadence um, or segmentation of, of the 90 days every, every 30 days, but the first 30 and trying to like group them by theme. So that, yeah, the first 30 is, is really like you're a sponge. It's really heavy on learning. They're going to have the most training um, and the most content thrown at them in the first 90 day or first 30 days. So really it's, it's being a sponge. You need to have application exercises throughout so that they're actually Mm -hmm. putting into practice the the content that's being thrown at them, but it, it is really more foundational and really focused on kind of the beginning pieces of, of the customer journey. Um, coming out of 30 days, let's use this, you know, an AE for an example. Um, you, they can't, they need to start building pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting to go into like the 30 and 60 phase, it's applying. They're still going to be learning, um, but it's going to taper off a bit more. And they're starting to put into practice, you know, developing pipeline, having those discovery Mm. calls, maybe demo calls as well, um, and really starting to kind of hone in their skills on the early pieces of the sales process Mm because that's what they need right now. Yeah. Um, And then transitioning, you know, to the 90 day and even beyond, it's the later stages of the sales process and really becoming a master um, of their craft. So that's kind of the the buckets I, I see those working in. And mm-hmm. again, the time, time differences is going to vary depending on the complexity or, you know, even the segment that they're in, um, you know, enterprise is going to be a little bit longer, but um, that's kind of what we've seen. And it's been successful bucketing in, in that way as yeah. a learner too, to really understand, okay, for sure. I'm a sponge for the first 30 days. I'm expected to do X, Y, and Z, but then the application and the mastery is really kind of what builds next. Yeah. And that's where they get to to do the practice and to start with maybe having, you know, the earlier parts of the process. And I love how you break up, you know, the earlier parts and the later parts, because if I teach you how to like, I don't know, price something that I'm, and you're not going to price something and your, your deal cycle is a, you know, six, six, at least three to six month deal cycle. You're not pricing anything for six months. You're going to forget it. But mm-hmm. so that's going to be maybe in your later stage, uh, your, your, your last month of ramp. Um, but something, you know, how to, how to do a prospecting call, you know, might be something you do early. So um, really smart way of figuring out. And then obviously, you know, there's ongoing, right. It doesn't just take 90 days to ramp an AE specifically Mm -hmm. certain roles. Yes. And other, but, but at least they have the foundation that they need. So that's, that's a really great insight. So can you walk us through your experience kind of designing and developing this? Like we talked about kind of your thought process about it and how you break it up into the, you know, the different months and the different roles. And it, you know, it it might sound very complex to someone who hasn't done it before. So just maybe even just give us some examples of from your current role, from maybe previous companies of how you went about kind of putting this together and maybe some of the experiences that you had. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, actually my previous company um, walked into a role where we actually didn't have any sort of onboarding program for the mm. sales team um, and what what onboarding was. And I'm sure this is probably something that many folks listening to this have maybe come across as well. And it's, it's not super uncommon for depending on the size of the company, but it was a series of recordings that were in maybe a Google Drive folder, possibly put in a spreadsheet that, uh, you know, the new hired had to just kind of like self-select the courses that they went through. There was no way mm. of telling what they've actually completed. Um, and a lot of the live sessions or basically all of the live sessions were uh, designed and facilitated by managers. Um, mm. And really onboarding is, okay, you're going to sit with your manager or someone on your team. You're going to 
you know, listen to recordings on your own with no version of, of, you know, application exercise or, Mm -hmm. Hey, have they, have they actually retained this information or we're going to sit you in a room with someone and they're just going to dump everything in their head at you. (laughs) So that's kind of what the, the and often it's not someone who's ever sold a day in their life. It's the person who made the product or exactly, exactly. which is great. And they're very smart, but what they need to know, what we need to know is a little different, right? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've actually seen onboarding also be a, I think it was between 70 and hundred slides that you had to memorize yeah. and Ugh. then take a test a, a week later and you had to pass it. Yeah. It's a very stressful. I already um, want to quit the job. Yeah. I'm like, welcome to the company. No yeah, pressure. Here you go. Read this book. Yeah, exactly. So um, I've seen a little bit of uh, a little bit of everything, honestly, as it relates to, um, you know, the beginnings of an onboarding program. But, you know, coming in, it's really taking a few steps back before you even build anything. You need to have a conversation with the leadership team of the program that you're developing, um, you know, sales leadership, CS leadership, solutions leadership, and really break down what are what does a successful successfully ramp you know, salesperson or customer success manager look like and what are they able to do and work backwards from there. Um, Really being critical, especially now that we're all learning in a virtual environment or a hybrid environment, you know, screen fatigue is a real problem. So being very intentional with the content or the learning objectives that we want to prioritize within the first 30, 60, and 90 days, and just start with the highest priority items. Focusing on the sales process or the customer journey is really important because that those are the customer-facing interactions. So we need to make sure they know what to do, they know how to work with their, with their peers, um, and they have the playbook to be successful in those, those moments. And, and yeah, it's, it's really, you can't build all the content yourself. So it's leveraging subject matter experts across the org. Um, that also gives the new hires the opportunity to meet subject mm-hmm. matter experts across yeah. the org as well. So yeah. um, really building a roadmap for the highest priority courses based on the sales process, based on the customer journey, leveraging your, your network or your team and, and the experts around you and, um, you know, really prioritizing courses that are going to move the needle. If, if discovery is a pain point in the sales process or we're, we have a lot of drop off after the demo, prioritize those courses mm. and make sure you get the subject matter experts of the leadership team um, bought in on the content that you're creating before you launch it. But that's kind of in a nutshell, the way I, I like approaching things. Um, and it's been, it's obviously onboarding isn't something that just you, you do, and then you're done. You have to be constantly yeah, yeah. looking at your onboarding program, constantly looking to refine it. So it's, it's an ever, ever yeah. continuing project that the enablement team works on. Um, and that needs to be the focus of how can we deliver the best in class pro- program that we can right now in this moment of time. And that requires us to be constantly looking at it and figuring out ways to improve it. Yeah. That's funny that you say that it's ever changing, ever evolving. And it's, it's so true, right. And it could happen for so many reasons, whether the product evolves, whether the industry evolves, or, or we just get feedback, right. We realize what's mm-hmm. working, what's not working. The, the new hires come in and, and we see how they do. And I remember when I was at Optimizely, our, we used to have like, it was the second day of the new hires. We used to have our SVP of sales, Travis Bryant, come in and meet the team. And he would always start by saying, you are getting the best onboarding that anyone here at Optimizely has ever gotten. And it, it was always true, right. Because we were always evolving 
the, the, the program and it was yeah. always better than the month before. Right. And it was always the best that we had based on whatever was going on in, in our world. So, yeah, I, I love that you're always looking at it. And I love how you broke it down. Right. We started off by it should be this really complex program. And then I, what I heard you say is prioritize. Right. Yes, we want. And I think that's a very big lesson for anybody in enablement or if you're not in enablement and you're forced to build an onboarding program, which happens. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, depending on this on the size of the company. It's OK. But what is the most important thing? What are some of the foundational things? And then you kind of build from there and 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 it doesn't all ha- you know being agile about it and 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 giving out the most important things if they don't understand why the product exists they can't talk about the features of the product so let's start with why the product exists and mm-hmm. things like that so you so you prioritize and eventually you get to everything yeah. um and prioritizing based on what they have to be able to do the other thing that you said that I really want to double click on is you know, you talked about the the challenge that a lot of companies have is they have an expert walk into the room and dump a bunch of information at the learner. We're not in any way suggesting that that that, that expert is not involved. But what that we then do from an from an enablement perspective is say, but what does the salesperson have to do with this information and help that expert? Right. You always want to have the expert in the room, right? And you want to have the expert provide, you know, if you have a very technical product, you do want to have a technical person kind of teaching that, but then we help apply it, right? And we help them to understand what is it that the that the salesperson needs to be able to do with this information? So I think that's the key. And obviously, we'll talk a little bit a lot about how, you know we we probably used to always do this in person. We had the last two years, but that we couldn't. So how do we now approach it when we might have to do it all remotely or hybrid? Uh, the last thing you said that I really loved is, and I so agree with you, is that a salesperson needs should have relationships in the business in order to be successful in their role. And so a part of onboarding is to get them to know these people. They need to know the people in legal. They need to know the the people in product. And so how do we put them in front of them early on? So you thought about all that, which I love. Yeah, Um, exactly. I think the um, building your internal brand is something that we focus on here because that's so important, especially now that everyone is is in a hybrid type of uh, working environment, but giving them the opportunity to create their internal network. Um, so that when they are closing the deal, they know who to go to, or if you know they're they have questions about how to approach something with the customer, they they already have that kind of built out in their, so their mind. And then yeah. they also have the opportunity to be in front of those folks and um, build those relationships starting with the onboarding. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so so key. And and I think even more key if you're in a remote world, right? Because how do you get to know them? And if you if you if they presented a session at, at in onboarding, you now know them, right? And so. Um, you kind of want to look at a blend. So let's talk about, you know, we talked about some of the other stakeholders, whether it be the subject matter expert and and maybe even peers who are good at doing something, right? If I if you talk about discovery being difficult and there's somebody who's really good at discovery, maybe the other person that that is a subject matter expert. But let's talk a little bit about the partnership with frontline managers, right? You know, for the first 90 days of a new hire, we're very, very instrumental and yet they're not on our team. And we and after 90 days, we or even after 30 days, really, or sometimes even after two weeks, we kind of release them back to their management, right? And yet there's a learning that still has to happen or enablement that still has to happen. So talk to me a little bit about that partnership with frontline managers and what your experience has taught you on that. Yeah, frontline managers are everything. Um, we're developing people on their team. So they very much need to be invested in the program and they need to be involved. I've been at a place before where I've had a frontline manager say, okay, see you in 30 days. Mm. Um, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold up. No, yeah, this no, is not how this is going to work for anybody. No. And it's, it's a really bad experience for the new hire as well. So 
Um, and even from frontline sales manager's perspective, right? Like you need this person to contribute to your quota with very, very soon. So you better be involved here in helping them mm-hmm. be able to get to that point where they could. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, in the same fashion that we want to deliver a consistent experience for our customers, we want to deliver that experience for new hires. And it can't Absolutely. be this disjointed thing right. where you're with enablement in a silo and we're cut off from the rest of the team for 30 days. And then here you go, get used to your team now and get used to your manager's expectations. So yeah, they, they definitely need to be in lockstep with, with enablement. Um, and that starts before the new hire does. Um, so understanding, you know, when people are starting, having a sense of their hiring plans and when these folks are actually going to be uh, joining and making sure that they're plugged into our cohorts is really important. We actually work with frontline managers before the new hires start to understand what are the new hires 30, 60, and 90 day goals. We review the onboarding guides that they develop before the new hires start and make sure that our learning path and training program is actually going to achieve these goals and have a conversation if maybe things aren't aligned. And that's really important, especially for, you know, unique roles where maybe we have a training program for, you know, AEs or uh, AE managers, but maybe we're opening a new segment or we're, Mm -hmm. we're expanding. So we don't have exactly the training program for them. We need to have a little bit more hands-on communication where we may need to tailor the program to really achieve those goals, making sure we have all of the manager resources available in one place or like a manager kit mm-hmm. is super helpful because they have a lot thrown at them and we need what to would them. be in this manager kit yeah i mean i think the onboarding guide the mm-hmm. overview of onboarding operations of these are your roles and responsibilities ah, here's yep. ablement's roles and responsibility this is what the new hire owns but then also you know dashboard dashboards and reports of here's how you track the progress Um, and instructions for if you're seeing something going wrong, this is what you need to do. And I think just over communicating is just so important right now, because again, there's a lot thrown at frontline managers onboarding. And that's the biggest challenge, right? Like new hire starts and it's Q4 and I'm trying to close out business to everybody else, but I have this new hire that I have to ramp up by the end of this quarter because I need to rely on them for Q1, right? Yeah. Or for next year. But so like, and it's, it's random in their world, right? So how do you help them to kind of juggle? And there's so much on a, on a sales, all leaders, but sales leaders, I think in particular in general, right? And so how do you get them? And yet we're ramping them to be able to do the day job that you are going to manage them for, right? Yeah, exactly. um, and and I think too also, you know, you have to know what they're learning and what they're not learning, right? And what they're expected to know and when they're expected to know it. And I think the biggest thing that I find with sales leaders is sales leaders in particular, because they're revenue generating, their teams are are have a number to hit is all right, it's enough learning, go do, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, maybe give us another week or whatever, or they do need to practice it or, you know, what yeah. have you. So we I'm actually also- had, we had frontline managers become more involved and really take ownership over the grading of the certifications. Mm, I love that. Because we we found that we needed to get them more involved. We needed them to be able to give feedback and it, it kept them more invested in the process as well. So having that shift, there was obviously some education that needed to go around this and new expectations, um, but it really helped because the new hires were getting, um, and we use Gong actually to do this. So it's actually in mm. Gong, the, the mm. peers could even give feedback, but it was oh, I love that um, a better way to get frontline managers involved and invested before ramp really ended, which yeah. And then you have a real partnership so that they could continue to support this new hire, you know, day 91, 
right and exactly. so yeah really great insight there I, the frontline manager is so key to this to this partnership so i love how you've d- designed it so mm-hmm. you know we started out this conversation by by how how much needs to be built and and you know obviously depend and we talk about like the refresh and depending on the size and the bandwidth of your enablement team and enablement is always a few to many whether it's a one to many or a few to many role and and a lot of companies find themselves the need they're they're hiring at a tremendous rate fast rate uh, I talked to someone the other day they're like well we have you know 10 sales A's today and we'll have 100 by the end of the year and I'm like Ooh! right <laughs> um, and we and that's real numbers right they're growing that quickly how do you and very often there's some there's nobody in enablement or the people in enablement just don't have the bandwidth sometimes it falls then on like some maybe the sales leader or the, the success leader or it could fall on someone in product marketing or sales operations so what does someone like that do like They've never designed a course, so it's not their day job. And maybe they know how to, but it's not their day job. How do you, what, what's, what do they do? How do they get this started? Yeah. Well, I think you need to, you need to have a conversation with the leaders of the department that you're building an onboarding program with and really understand going back to the 30, 60, 90 day goals. What, what does a fully ramped AE look like? What does a fully ramped CSM look like and work backwards from there, get them to prioritize the the key pieces or the key behaviors that you mm-hmm. want to develop content for. I think the other thing that um, is something that is often missed, but so important is, um, and if you have the resources to do this, definitely prioritize this, is you know, partner with the operations team or have some way of making data-driven decisions mm-hmm. in either the content that you prioritize or to be able to measure the success of the onboarding program, because mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of feedback throughout throughout the program. And it's going to be really like tactical, maybe specific on the content. Um, But being able to pull up and actually look at the data and say, what is the data telling you? Um, Where are our new hires getting stuck? That's Mm. really going to set you up for success and you won't be stabbing in the dark. I would also say, recognize that you can't build it all. If you have a day job and building an onboarding program is maybe a side hustle that you're doing, or you've kind of been thrown into owning this project, leverage the experts around you to develop content and also own the facilitation or the refresh of that content as well. Uh. Um, and develop a cadence for when they're going to do that, expectations on what that looks like, um, and have the the kind of team around you share share the work because it can't just be a one-person job. 100%. And I would say that's true for enablement and everything, specifically yeah, exactly. in, in onboarding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, enablement can't be the expert at anything, at everything no. also, right? Exactly. We are not the subject matter experts in everything. We are the subject matter experts in how to enable somebody and what they need to be able to do. So, yeah, like leverage your resources is, is an amazing Exactly. And I think, I mean, to that point, don't reinvent the wheel. There's Mm. a lot of great content out there and a lot of external templates and Mm. people have done this before and people have developed programs basically at every company. So leverage experts in your network to, to start from a good place. I know there's a ton of Slack channels for PMM or enablement Mm. where people have shared onboarding best practices or templates. I know you at level 213, you have revenue ramp where you have yep. templates ready to go for people who are trying to make a go-to-market onboarding programs. So leverage the resources that are out there and start from that point. So you're not completely reinventing the wheel or starting from scratch. Yeah. I mean, to your point, there's so many things that that most companies need at specific stages, like some topics that you're always going to have to cover, you know, competition. You're always going to have to cover, cover buyer persona. So, so, you know, use 
the best in the best uh, uh, examples of other people, and then customize it for yourself. And I'm glad you brought up our revenue ramp. We built it for that specific reason. You know, I mentioned earlier, uh, building onboarding programs is our biggest, the biggest ask we have from our clientele. And it, there, there's just so much time we have in our day to be able to do it. And so we, we set out to build these templates to say, you know what, we personally don't have the time to build it ourselves, but let's get, like, I'll give you 75% of the way. Mm-hmm. This is what we, we see needing to go in in most sales, new hire programs. Now go customize it for yourself. And we try to make it as easy as possible. And our and our clients that have used it, they're amazed at how, wow, it got them 85% of the way there. And then anybody can fill it in. So yeah, wow. it, and it was literally built for that uh, for that specific reason of, I kept asking myself, like, how do I make this more scalable for people yeah. that they can get it, you know, very rapidly? And, and, you know, we have people who are very experienced enablers who just don't have the time and they need a refresh or somebody who's never done it before. And, and the program helps everybody. So we'll link to it in the, in the show notes, but The last thing there too is you don't need a course for everything. And some of the best learning comes from folks learning from their peers. So leverage that is part that should be part of the onboarding program. A hundred percent. Exactly. Shadowing, having um, activities around treasure hunts for call moments or Q and A with their peers to learn about best practices. That takes away obviously the work for you to create a whole course around that topic, but they're learning from people doing the actual things in the wild. And that's actually where some of the best learning comes from. So formalize activities around that where they actually need to look for those learning moments and think critically about what they just listened to because um, they're taking ownership then of what they're learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's key, 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 key. It's not always a training. It's not always a deck. It's not always someone talking to them. It's them doing, getting practice on the, the, what to do. And that's part of the ramp. And so, uh, and that you could, that that's usually easier to and and you mentioned earlier gong right or any of these call um intelligence game changer for onboarding game changer that we can say go listen to this call versus having to find someone to shadow we could pick the good calls the bad calls we can get data on i mean just game changer for so much Mm -hmm. in enablement but specifically onboarding and it helps everybody to kind of get things there faster so okay so you know we talked a lot about in-person versus remote versus asynchronous, self-paced. Obviously, we also live in a world where the last two years has been probably forced, whether we wanted to or not, to be remote. And, you know, we also talked about the importance of getting them, them getting to know people and it's more challenging in a, in a remote world. How, what do you think the impact of this pandemic has will shape the future of go-to-market onboarding? Whereas it used to be, or where I came from traditionally, is like you put somebody in a room for two weeks from, you know, an all-day classes, and then they went back to their, wherever their, their home office might've been, um, or to their team. And obviously we haven't done that in the last few years. So how do you think this is going to impact us going forward? It's something that's very top of mind for me right now. And I know a lot of enablement professionals right now, um, you know, we went, virtual overnight and we just shifted our program to fit you know so were what? you doing live classes in advance or did you have a you know did you also use some asynchronous yeah so we um yeah we used to actually fly all new hires to the headquarters in San Francisco yeah um, and they would spend i think around 2 weeks in the office 
Um, we had a lot of live sessions and that was kind of in collaboration with the HR team as well. And we had like mm-hmm. a company-wide onboarding program. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of live sessions and then there was e-learning um, kind of building off of the live sessions in the two week period of time. And then they flew back home and then completed the rest, either virtual or e-learning style. So mm-hmm. We had a lot of elements that were e-learning based or set up for a virtual training just because we were hiring people globally. Um, yeah. And a lot of the courses were not in that two-week period of time. But you know, we had to shift that that whole beginning model and the you know, meet your team and get connected mm-hmm. to the company. That wasn't happening now because everyone was just starting in in their home. Um yeah. we had to just shift that overnight. So I think what that the pandemic has done for go-to-market onboarding, but also go-to-market enablement is we need to stop thinking about what we would have done in a live live environment and try to just make that work for virtual, but really mm. take a few steps back and think about what is the best experience for a virtual and optimize for that. Screen fatigue is a really tough problem to navigate. Um, and I think it's making us really need to prioritize even further what is what are the top things that are going to move the needle? What needs to be covered now mm-hmm. and remove any fluff from your program that mm-hmm. doesn't go towards the top priorities. I think it's also making us get more um, kind of strategic in how we build out our programs, right? You have to really think about retention and what what does coming out of 30 days or coming out of 60 days, the person need to be able to do if something doesn't go towards that, if a topic or a course doesn't go towards that directly, thinking about how can we drip them this content later so that there is more of that just in time enablement or yeah, using tools. So um, instead of training them about a process, they learn about how to do that process in that tool when they're doing it for the first time. So we've really had to rethink how we train on a lot of the things around the sales process or our product and interactivity and gamification and, you know, battling screen fatigue is just more important now than ever. And, you know, we're still trying to figure that out in some sense, but it, it is something that we're constantly getting feedback on and looking at, okay, how can we condense this or you know, take some stuff out or build build some fun back into the program because they're not meeting meeting their friends in the office anymore. So how do you how do you build a community around or stakeholders, right? You know, it's exactly. so, so you know what you talk about flying everybody in. It's not just for the learning, it's for them to learn the culture. Or even if it's not, even if they are, you know, close to the headquarters, but getting to to meet the product marketers in person versus not meet them at all. And I'm going to argue everything you just said we should do anyway, right? It's like yeah. the, 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 we were forced to to to, to get better. Um, but you know, somebody asked me recently, how long is too long for a training? And my answer was, if it's something that's going to help you learn to do your job better, then invest the time and no time is too much. But if it's not going to help me do my job better or help the person do the job better, a minute is too long. Mm-hmm. Right. We are so forced to ask ourselves, is this going to what is the return on this going to be for our learner? Yeah. In this case, the AE or the or the CSM. And if it's going to help them do their job and I take a week or if it's going to help, then great. If I if it's not going to help them do their job and I waste a minute of their time, that's a minute that they're not driving revenue for the company. So yeah. cut it out. Right. And the same thing with with new hires. 
um, in particular. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that. How much do you think you'll now that, you know, we don't know what's happening. I mean, we're, we're, we're recording this when Omicron is now a big thing, right? And we thought we were going back in person and now we have to pull back a little bit again, but maybe not. Are you planning to go back event? Like, do you see yourself incorporating some of what you learned in the last two years continued even when whatever we go back to quote unquote normal is, or are you wanting to really go back to your original, have everybody sit in the room for a few weeks? Yeah, no, I, I don't think we'll ever fully go back to the original plan. Um, We've, you know, since, since the pandemic, we've actually hired a lot of folks fully remote or um, in a kind of like a hybrid type of environment. So we will always be supporting people across the globe and, you know, outside of the hub location. So we really needed to think, rethink onboarding. Um, So I think the thing that we are noticing is people, and this isn't specific to Iterable, this is a big trend that I think we're seeing across the entire workforce is people aren't feeling as connected to the companies or the company mission that they're working for because they haven't met anybody in person and had the opportunity to, you know, get to know the people that they work with on a personal level um, or really learn through osmosis anymore. It's like some of the best learning is like leaning over and just shadowing somebody uh, who is a master at doing that particular thing. So, or even hearing the experienced sales rep do that call because you sit next to them and you're not hearing that, right? Yeah. Thank you gong or chorus or the like, but it's not happening just through sitting in the, in the, in the same space. Yeah. So I think we need to do, we want to bring people together and whether that's by hub location or by team Mm -hmm. and giving managers the, um, you know, empowering them to be able to do that and build their teams and build the culture. Um, But we also just need to be realistic in that we need to also do that in a virtual environment. So creating roundtable discussions, creating, um, you know, workshop times, creating kind of like it's structured, but within the actual meeting, it's more in structure or informal um, opportunities for people to actually get to know each other, get to know their teammates, ask questions and have more of that candid conversation that would happen if they were meeting in the office. So that is something that we're, we're rethinking. And then, yeah, our, our virtual our virtual trainings, how we do live sessions and how we used to whiteboard, we're rethinking that mm-hmm. as well and using mm-hmm. tools to just build more interactivity into those sessions because, uh, you know, they're on Zoom all the time. So how yeah. can we make that session stand out and really get um, the most out of it? Yeah, I love what you talked about. It's it's not even just though the learning, it's the getting to know the team and not even just their peers who sell the same thing to the same segment, but the other people in the larger organization. So I think a lot of people think about, oh, I'll do, you know, coffee happy hour or whatever, coffee talk or happy hour with the, the peers, but like, let's make sure we're doing that with deals desk. Let's make sure we're doing that with product marketing. Let's make sure we're doing that with the CFO in some way that's scalable, but letting, making sure that these people are getting to know who these are, because the reality of the life of a customer facing human is you need other people, right. Yep. And giving them an opportunity. Maybe it's even having like a partner happy hour or, or whatever. And we have zoom happy hour fatigue, but some way to be able to get to know these people because we do, we do business with these people and, and people do business with people they like and know. And, and the one thing that, as you were talking about that, I, I, I was thinking about, we have a client that 
they don't put the onus on making the connections on the new hire because it's very hard for the new hire themselves. They don't, first of all, they don't know who to go to, right? They don't know yeah. who to go to. And they don't want to ruffle feathers or bother people or whatever. So they put the onus on the existing rep. You reach out to this new hire. You set up time with this new hire. You tell them something because you know what your day looks like and how to manage it. And you also know what you know. And, and they, for a new hire, especially sitting in their own house, it's very, very challenging to, to not want to bother anybody or really know who to go to. So put the onus on the teams too. We have new people coming, reach out to them, talk to them about, first of all, just BS with them too, right? Because you want to get to know, we, we're missing that. We're missing getting to know people at the lunchroom, going out for dinner or whatever. Usually, like I remember when we were running in-person sales uh, onboardings, there'd always be a night where we would do a happy hour. We'd have yeah. everybody come out and just be, and we don't do that anymore, right? We can't, or we couldn't for a while. Now you can maybe do it. Or making sure that, you know, setting up who they're having lunch with the first few weeks. And now we're obviously not doing that, but why can't you do that virtually? But put the onus on the existing team. Mm-hmm. rather than on the new hire, because it's really hard to ask that of the new hire. So really great points. And I love that you're thinking about that and think about onboarding from the knowledge that they need to have, but also from getting to know the culture or getting to know um, how to even navigate within the business, right? Which is so important for somebody who who touches so many different parts of the business. What do you see as the future of go-to-market onboarding? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, I think the future of, of go-to-market, what go, go-to-market onboarding is today is it's connecting sales, pre-sales and post-sales. So there's a consistent, you know, enablement experience across the, the customer journey. I think the future of go-to-market onboarding is it needs to stay focused on the customer and, and really mm. the voice of the customer and what matters to them. Mm. Um, so I think just further evolution of how do we keep the customer experience top of mind mm. um, and pulling in more of the people across the org and maybe even, you know, the R and D side of the house, right. It's, mm. it's connecting the company to the common mission of delivering the best in class customer experience. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think right now we're really focused on sales and we're really focused on CS, but there's so much more that goes into that. Um, So I'm trying to think about how do we pull in marketing and and make marketing more a part of that? Or how do we Mm. make sure product is more locked into um, and aligned to what we're enabling the the go-to-market team on and um, having more consistency across the the org to prioritize the customers is something that I, I want my good market org uh, or enablement org to evolve into. I love it. We started the conversation with that and we're kind of ending the conversation with that. And, you know, that is why I say you're one of the best sales name people that work with. Because <laughs> the fact that you even think about that is so tremendous and 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 is game-changing, right? And it's, it's going to be game-changing, obviously, for our buyers, but it's also going to be game-changing for, for the teams that you support. So, so well done and kudos to you on that. Uh, one last question is like you had a magic wand that you can kind of just wave and this you can now have to help support your onboarding. What would it be? <laughs> oh, this is, I, there's a quite a long wish list that I have. <laughs> so, I mean, how big, how nice is this wand? Uh, how many, it, how many waves do I get? Um, but it's a, I, it's a genie that just gives you everything. <laughs> I think, um, you know, just in time enablement, like we talked about is something Mm. that I'm really trying to rethink because Mm. we can't fit everything that we need to in the onboarding program. And Uh, neither is that good for the learner, by the way, if it's just goes over their head anyway. Sure. Oh yeah. So a solution that helps us solve for knowledge management, plus meeting the learner where they are and and helping, Mm. um, you know, break up some of the more so like tool enablement or process enablement 
to, to really be where they are. I know there's some tools that do that today, but you know, ones that um, help us scale that mm-hmm. for a really small team um, and help us maintain the content in a, in a kind of faster, scalable way. So mm-hmm. um, that's really something I I'm trying to think about. Um, but then also, you know, knowledge management is something really, really top of mind right now as well. And learning through osmosis isn't really happening anymore. So people yes. are spending more time finding the right resource. So ways to solve for that in a scalable fashion for a small team is that would be my magic wand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our technology partners that are listening, this is what we want you to build. So yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely, thought. and maybe even putting in that component of being able to build relationships or something for if, if people stay in the virtual world. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I like your wish list and I hope the genie, <laughs> the genie is listening. <laughs> really great conversation. Thank you for having this. I think that my biggest takeaway is A, don't forget that this is all about the customer journey. Build new hire ramp program accordingly and prioritize, right? Don't try to change everything overnight. You know everything that it needs to happen, but prioritize the most important thing and leverage your resources accordingly. Always reminding yourself, what does this person who we're, who we're enabling need to be able to do and how are we going to get them there? And who are the partners, whether it's the frontline manager, whether it's the product experts that are going to help them get to, to there. So really, really great insight. Thank you for sharing. And I, I appreciate the time. One last question to get to know you a little bit better before we hang up. Uh, what's, what's the first app you go to each morning and why? Oh, interesting question. Um, I definitely open, I would say actually not necessarily every single morning, but I'm trying to get better at it. Um, we actually calm is one of, uh, our customers mm, and we actually mm, get to love. have access to calm as one of our perks. Um, love. so I've been trying to meditate a little bit more in the morning and really I get like my, uh, kind of put mindfulness uh, more at the forefront of uh, really kicking off my day. So yeah. I find that has really been been helpful, especially if I only have maybe 10 to 15 minutes before my meeting starts. So yep. uh, not every single morning, but it's something I'm trying to get more into a rhythm of. But I love it. Yeah. Love it. Calm is like puts you to bed at night and wakes you up in the morning, right? Like they have the <laughs> sleep function and the get up function. So yeah, I love that that practice. And especially when you have an overwhelming job with so many moving parts being able yeah. to have that mindfulness kind of helps you along so it's uh, tempting to not open slack before that but yeah know, don't i'm do working it. on once, that <laughs> once you open slack it's there's the mindfulness kind of goes out the door. <laughs> email and slack it, it could wait 10 more minutes right we yeah. all have 10 minutes of our lives so awesome thank you so much for your time today and for the wisdom that you shared uh this is such an incredibly important topic for so many companies and you've seen it happen um, in, in different size companies and different evolutions. So thank you for your time today and really appreciate all of it. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure. I love this topic. Always love chatting with you about it. And thanks for having me. As we close out this episode today, we would like to thank purpleplanet.com for our music production. And we thank you for listening. We encourage you to get in touch with us with requests for future topics, any questions you might have, or just to say hello. We can be found at www.level213.com that's l-e-v-l and then the numbers 213.com or through linkedin have a great day